Hello everybody, this is Paul Farron here for Film Ireland and we're doing our Halloween podcast introducing two wonderful filmmakers who've got horror films in this weekend's horror run by Edwina Queen and co. Uh, I'd like to introduce me of Jason Figgis on my right whose new film is called uh, you, D- you Don't Recognize Me, Do You? Close enough. It's called I, I, Don't You Recognize Me. And we have Mark Sheridan, whose film is The Crone Wood. Just Crone Wood, but close See, enough. See, <laughs> I had to get both of them wrong. Uh, so, look, I'm going to just introduce, I've introduced guys, and I'm going to start with Jason, because he's on my right. There's no other reason for that. Jason, tell us a little bit about the background and the making of uh, this movie. Well, okay, so the film came about, um, I've been working on a, a teen vampire film called The Ecstasy of Isabel Mann, and uh, one of the actors in that was a guy called Darren Travers, who played like a 3,000-year-old Greek vampire called Acacius, and on one of our little down days, we were sitting talking, and I said, I'd really like to do a film called Scum, but of course, the brilliant uh, film of Scum in the late 70s starring Ray Winston had already been there, and I thought... I really want to make a film based around the idea of a gangland family and then something happens to them as opposed to them perpetrating something. So they become, in a way, the victims. So I've been talking to Darren and he says, um, we're chatting away, and he says, uh, he said somebody as a joke, don't you recognize me? Because he was out of makeup and he literally wasn't recognizable. And I just thought, shit, that's the name, Don't You Recognize Me, because it tied in then with the plot of the film. So very basically, the film is about a uh, a young filmmaker who decides that he wants to do a series of films called A Day in the Life. And we all know that, like from the art or the Sunday Times supplement and that. But he wants to go around, meet people kind of on the edge of society, see what they're doing, follow them around for the day. Except he kind of gets involved with a guy called Kay, played by this great little actor. I don't mean little. Although he's not very tall. Uh, <laughs> Have fun cutting that out, Steve. <laughs> he won't mind. He won't mind. Um, called Jason Sherlock, who plays his character called Kay. And the, um, the, the filmmaker spends the day with him. But things start off amiably and then very gradually become not so amiable. Well, you say that, but I didn't find it amiable. I was kind of tense from the very start. Well, <laughs> no, yeah, knowing the world yeah. I was in. But, okay, well, just quickly to Mark then. And, Mark, introduce your film. Okay, so my film is Cronewood. Uh, it's my feature debut. Um, it's a found footage film, I guess. I've been told almost not to say that because it's almost a dirty word in the horror community at the moment, but I think there's no point lying about it. Um, basically, our film sets up, it's about Danny and Haley. so it's a couple who've just met the night before and they've spent the night together having fun and the next morning they decide that they want to up the ante a little bit further and they suggest going into the woods for the night and... I probably don't want to go too much into the plot I was going to say, you're not really at liberty to say too much. Yeah, away, but, so... But it's similar to you, Jason. I mean, okay, let's get to the point. We've got two things in common here. We're both working from a documentary format mm-hmm. that the horror genre has embraced like crazy since the heady days of Bear Witch. But as you guys know, it did it well before that with Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, and I think one or two of the movies that I remember vaguely but don't come solidly to mind... Tell me, did you approach this because it allowed you a bit of freedom because you didn't have the huge Hollywood budget? Or do you simply like that format? I will start with yourself, Jason. Well, um, I've been talking to Mark about this earlier. Um, When I made this film, the only way I could make the film, because of the story that it was, was in a found footage way. So I didn't actually approach thinking, I want to make a found footage film. But it wasn't the opposite of that either. I wasn't saying, I never said, I want to stay away from that. I have no interest in limiting myself by saying an audience doesn't like a particular subgenre, so I'm not going to do it. Frankly, couldn't give a toss about that. Um, so, you know, it just so happened, if this film was going to work, it had to be a found footage film. There's no other way it could have worked. And it only really came out of the development of, a fi- of the film itself that, as we discussed it and we kind of went, how are we actually going to do this? And we went, well, the only way is if it's a real film crew, etc., and it's a real documentary-type project, which required a lot of rehearsal, uh, almost a year of rehearsal for everyone to be so entrenched in their characters that no matter what you did with the camera, you believed that they were that person. And so that's well, it's pretty true. Much it. I mean, once you put the, that value of the found footage on it, you've got you're addressing certain rules that you may break, but you can't be seen to break them in a, in a, in a kind of feckless way. 
did you have similar issues with uh, approaching it? And yeah. did you feel comfortable with the found footage idea once you got started? Yeah, it's a funny one. I guess if you're being completely honest about it, uh, from our kind of financial situation, found footage is probably the only realistic option we had to actually, say, make a film with the budget we had and do it properly. Um, so there's no doubt. Like, we shot our film in five days, which uh, is... Wow, that's... Yeah, inhuman in many ways. But, like, on top of that, though, because I think it's a dangerous thing that some people tend to go for that subgenre just because it is cheaper and they figure they can make a film much easier that way. And, and I think that's really wrong, quite a dangerous kind of notion to have. I love found footage films, but I'll be the first person to put my hands up and say there's a whole load of them that are pretty awful. Um, too many people watched like the wonderful Bear Witch Project and got this notion that a few of the lads will just go into the woods, we'll just point a camera at each other, we'll improvise the whole thing, we'll shake the camera a little bit, and that'll make a great successful film. And that's just not the case. Um, I think if you want to make a successful found footage film, you definitely have to understand those rules that are there. I think... For me, it was trying to say as true with truth as possible. So, like, everything from sound, music, like, it all had to happen in camera for us. We didn't want to kind of bring in some of those elements people do to try and liven it up, you know. Or people kind of cheat as well. They find the security camera footage and stuff like that. You know, we wanted to keep it as pure as possible. Well, immediately, you've got another personality in the film by just using that form, and that becomes a style or a characteristic. And I have said, I've always been... You know, the belief, yeah, you've got to be real pure. But now, in I've seen it in comedies abused quite nicely. A good example would be Modern Family. It totally abuses the idea of it being documentary footage. Now, found footage is a different thing again, I think, slightly. Would you agree? I mean, with yours, I always thought, when I saw yours, then I'm not giving it in a way, but I always felt it was someone's footage that they kept after the event, and then they might like to look back on themselves. Go and see the film, and you might know what I mean. You address it in a, in a. I can talk about that little mid kind of turn, or would that Feel be? Free, listen, I, uh, when does it basically our documentary it, you know? crew meet a documentary crew? Yeah, and I I love that. And then within that, there's another documentary to be looked at while we're watching the documenting. So this is this wonderful domino of of, the, of the, who documentary makers are and having the art of us turned on you. I try, I thought it was a lovely idea. Well, as Zoe Cavanagh said, who's in the film mm -hmm. and is also a filmmaker, it became like one of the most meta films ever. And she said that herself. She said, wait a minute, I'm a filmmaker, and I'm filming filmmakers making a film, and there's another <laughs> film within the film. And I thought that was brilliant, you know, because, again, that wasn't really planned. It just turned out that way. Oh, yeah, I, I, but it's, it's, it, uh, it has a lovely kind of creepiness about it. Like, yeah. where does it all stop? We shot our movie in three days, by the way. Oh. Wow. wow. Okay, and the winner of the Who Shot Their Movie the Fastest. We will discuss the editing speed in a minute. I'll bet you that was another beast. But tell me this, Mark, then when, with your one again, it's more of a kind of personable piece of a guy who is using the camera in a little bit of an obsessive way. And he has his one little moral quiver with the camera, right at that little moment in the tent. But yeah. it's a pushing back and forth as they kind of interrogate each other to be to begin with and again you introduce the story from another camera's point of view later on yeah absolutely uh, like what i think for me if you're going to do something like this is i think well, one of the major quibbles for other people is the fact that why are they still filming and why are they doing this and i think it's very important to address from the character's point of view like for jason your film it makes sense because they're filmmakers when you're trying to go the route with me which i suppose would be the more let's say traditional blair witchy type approach even though they were making a documentary too you do have to justify it and i think that's a really important thing and i think it's important that your character has a reason why they'd use it even if you don't deeply discuss that it's very important it that's has to be understood part. yeah or absolutely. else uh, you, you create that one little kernel that bothers the audience and they can't go with any of the other ideas that you're trying to present yeah and i think what for me what i wanted to do without making a, a film that's too heavily going down the road of some kind of themes was it was touching on the notion of our desire to film things like nowadays everywhere we go you have people filming, taking photos, but like every concert, it's just people holding up and looking through their phones the whole time. And the same way with relationships and everything, our memories and our enjoyment of things are becoming connected to us capturing them in the moment as opposed to enjoying them. And then how far that goes. And I suppose at the beginning of our film, we've got Danny, our lead, who is enjoying filming this new girl that he likes. Uh, you know, And it comes from a genuine place, but you could debate whether it's somewhat voyeuristic or not. And then with twists that happen later on in the film, it's just when that's turned on you, how become, that becomes just uncomfortable and less acceptable. Um, yeah, which, which is, that, I, I haven't thought, thought of it until now, but that's one similar kind of thing with you, with the, the, that idea of the documentary maker suddenly being someone else's documentary subject. Yeah, I mean, I thought, um, 
I wanted the whole experience to be very uncomfortable, I have to say. Um, to the point of, um, I don't know whether I said this to you earlier, Mark, but we actually had certain members of the cast who didn't even know what was going to happen in certain sequences. Um, yeah, to talk, I would like to, to uh, actually, let's talk about that now yeah. from both points of view. You sure. both went for very short, fast shoots. Yeah. Uh, and I, I bet there was an awful lot of talk behind why you were doing that in terms of the energy. So, again, continue yourself, Jason. Uh, Wonderful performances, as was okay. said, and I think you've you've won prizes for some of your performances. Yeah, in, uh, actually, yeah, at, at Starburst, the Starburst Fantasy Awards, we won the Best Overall Performance Award for Darren Travers, who plays. Uh, I'm holding up. Yeah, he digits. was he was great. Now he did have a wonderful scenery chewing character to play, yeah, and I thought I thought actually his younger brother deserves as much kudos as he did. The guy played his younger brother. He was he brilliant. Yeah, uh, he yeah. had you by the balls from yeah. the moment you met yeah. him at the start of the film. Can I send the link on to him? Or can you send the oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to check it out. But, um, yeah, so Actually, no, what was you, you, you mentioned earlier? Um, you mentioned earlier uh, the rehearsal process was a long time before you went for your yeah. three day shoot. We actually had almost a year of rehearsal before we started filming. But the great the reason for that was the very first piece of footage that we shot was the film within the film. That is, that is screened for this film. Okay, yeah. So we shot that, and it's funny. I can I can say so very little about it because it kind of gives it away. So I'm kind of self censoring as I go. Um, but we shot that with the idea that what came out of that footage and everything that followed had to be because of that piece of footage. So we thought, great, we've got. I, I want everyone to look a lot different. I want certain characters to be able to develop themselves in certain ways, and uh, so. Darren Travers again, who played uh, played the the older brother, the the towering brother. He's like head and shoulders taller than everybody in it. Um, uh, they spend a lot of time just hanging out together as family and friends. They go down to Sheriff Street, they hang out, they sit in inner city pubs, they would just wander the streets and talk, and were always in character. So by the time they got on set, they knew exactly what they had to do. They clicked right back into it. No matter who was looking at who, no matter where the camera went, and you know, there's two cameras there when we're filming. Um, because of the the second crew, as you mentioned, so if it turns, you better be in character, or it's going to be spotted. So we had that major intensity um, of whereby, say, in the the final act of the film, if I mean, I'm not even sure there is three acts, is there? I'm not 100 sure. We won't worry about that. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not really that kind of That's thing. For act, three actresses for three sissies. Yes. What does that mean? Um, but to, so yeah. to to focus that. You had done all your directing in terms of your performances before you went to set, and yeah. you were really confident because, like, let's face it, did not give anything else away. But you're you were on the set as a, one of the the actors, and in a certain way that you couldn't really be keeping an eye on everybody. Yeah, on the day until well, later well, actually, on. No, that's funny because mm-hmm. I, I was with them all the time. Yeah. Now the thing was, even even at the set where they're being shown the film, I was standing in. The, there's a, there was a little hut building within that that large building, and I was there all the time. And I was going, "All right, cut," and then we go reset, and they go, no, "Don't forget, you have to bring it from this point to this point to this point. Otherwise, we're going to spend forever going around in circles. We're never going to get anywhere." So I would actually appear, you know, in character because it's fine. Like people are going to see it. I play a character called Babyface, who's a kind of a um, a strange brother. Uh, the eldest brother of them, no, and not to a certain kind of uh, character we've seen in yeah, films before. Yeah, it's an it's an homage. To not give away in the way. Yeah, it's an homage. Um, but I would. We have some great behind the scenes footage where I come out as a character, going, "No, guys, uh, we really need to." <laughs> and everyone's like, "Yes, Jason." So yeah, so I was. You, you, you wouldn't yeah. have directed in the in the, in the getup he was in. <laughs> Trust me, you'll, you'll find it tomorrow. But tell Mark your own approach. Then obviously you rehearsed, and again I I, I recognise a lot of actors there. Some of my favourite people, Geraldine McAlinden. Yeah, absolutely, L- lovely actress. Right. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, I, I get the impression a lot of goodwill and good energy was going on. I think you can always tell when you're watching a film whether things are working. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whether it's, yeah. whether it be the darkest, most intense film or not, you know what? Okay, they get on. You know, you watch a film where you you people feel that they no, were actually having a good time. Absolutely, and you know, like the the reality is when you're doing a film under that kind of a time scale and also just with limited resources and stuff like that the cast and the crew obviously made such a huge difference and that was one of the things that really helped me through it because it was such a such an ordeal to try and fit it all in because you've seen the film you know there there's enough action in it that, that takes time to actually get in there and 
it was amazing when they even came to say one o'clock in the morning and you're up by the Hellfire Club and stuff like that. Even when I was starting to wane, like they were always there and ready and wanting to do it right. You know, and that makes a huge difference when we're making these kind of films because we were actually, Jason and me were talking about it earlier on, when it comes to found footage, actually I think you get away with uh, bad acting a lot less than you would in a normal film. The I, actually, I totally the agree. The quality has to, because if it's not believable enough, it actually blows it much quicker than you would have in, a, say, a standard stock film. And, and sometimes it's just like that bad, bad acting, you go, okay, if this was a drama, I'd actually buy that performance. Absolutely. But I can feel them acting in front of the camera yeah. for this notion of this fictional <laughs> we're back to which, the meta thing again yeah, yeah no which is a real so you, again one thing you, you both marked is that you cannot underestimate the, that energy that you need to provide as the the central force for everybody else and and you can't teach that in college uh, that kind of thing of the camaraderie and the collaboration I think that's a huge aspect that no one seems to understand until they get onto a set and they've got to do it would you agree? I, I completely will because I think particularly say Again, on, on on the lower budget type side of things, you you're forced into like <laughs> under a situation where you're going to have to be a good director. You're going to have to be able to manage these difficult situations. While some people who may have started on a bigger budget production the first time, these are challenges they'll never have had to face. And some of those people can crumble under that kind of pressure. I think if you can make a film under the circumstances that we're making them, you know well that if it comes to the next stage where there's more money in place, you're going to walk through it that way. You know, because these are challenges that normal filmmakers wouldn't be used to hitting up to and actually having to cope with because there's no way you can turn around there's no extra days shooting you have to get it and that brings a kind of an immediacy but that can actually bring something to the film as well because there's a respect on set and the actors realize that first take that has to be a counting take they don't take two or three to get there every single one counts mm. i think it was a Eliya kazan said that part of the director's job is to create the atmosphere that helps those on whether it be the actor or the, or the, or the crew find that magic moment those kind of found things. Uh, did you both find that? Did you find that, Jason? That there was oh, something time, going... Yeah, because one thing is, and it's kind of in a way echoing what you're saying, is that I couldn't work with people I didn't like or didn't get on well with. You just can't because you immediately feel a negative energy in your production that is just throwing everything off. So I tend to develop relationships with people for months before I do a project so that I go, you're really into this, you really want to do it, you see their passion, you see how much work they're putting into character. Like Darren Travers presented me with a hundred pages of notes on the film, uh, in the film. And uh, I was just blown away by that. You know, the fact that he was so, you know, when he won his award, he won't mind me saying he, he burst into tears because he'd never won an award. And he thought, I won the overall award. He just couldn't believe that he had, was being honored in that way for all the work that he had done. And he's that kind of guy. So I, the, the way I look at it is that if everybody isn't hugely immersed in it, it's not going to work. And again, in a way, I'm repeating myself, uh, I mean, literally repeating myself, and that if the camera turns and they're not in it, you're going to capture that. And as you said, Mark, rightly so, if the if the acting isn't way better than most other types of acting and other types of film, you're just not going to get away with it. And one thing I always say to reviewers, I give them the film and I say, I don't care if you don't like the movie. <clears throat> I said, but you will not be able to say that there's bad acting in this movie. And all of them have come back. I had one guy in America, Ravenous Monster, saying, I really don't like these kind of movies, but boy, that acting is great in that movie. You know? <laughs> and I was like, job done. And I, I ended up responding to him. And he goes, thank you very much. Considering you played baby face, I really take that. <laughs> and it's true. But it's yeah. kind of, it, there's also a, a kind of surreal contradiction in that because you're obviously drawn into it if you're watching the performances anyway. But that's what I believe as well. I believe that utterly, that no matter what film you're watching, if you hook on a character and you're really sucked in by them, eventually you don't even care what the genre of film is. You, if you're really immersed in it with that character... Well, that's the big deal, is to try and escape the trappings of yeah. any genre. It's yeah. like, okay, I'm just interested because these characters are at play in this particular scenario. You look at the Darden brothers, for example, right? A lot of mm. their movie is a character walking endlessly from one place to the other, you know, with this idea in mind. But the acting is so superb they keep winning the pan door you know but don't forget that so I, I think as well as a film as directors uh, and this is where people forget acting is also environment and place and all the other things that you put in place for them to yeah. to engage with that is also telling the story yeah it's it's like um the, the old thing of uh, 
lassie acting, I call it, you know, where you go, like, well, the dog looks left, and you go, oh, my God, what's <laughs> going on over there? What a wonderful performance. Yeah, the dog looked left. <laughs> but, yeah, but everything else was in place that made it, <laughs> you, That's the it. audience, feel that emotion that was going on. Uh, let, let's talk about independent production. Okay, well, I don't want you to start revealing how much money you paid in your film. The fact that I think it would be vulgar to discuss money. But you guys went and did this, and it does seem to be happening a little bit more, and especially in the horror genre. How tough do you find it, though, on the other end now, as you're trying to sell it and get people to see it in festivals? And I know that's the hardest part. I think I've found in the past, with myself or other people, that you start getting into festival politics sometimes, not simply being judged on whether your film is good or bad, but have you gone the right way around getting it done? And... If you want to elaborate on that, maybe start with Jason and then Mark. Yeah, definitely the festival thing with me is, I don't know, it's it's a slight bugbear in that there is a lot of political issues with film festivals. One, they are either have an agenda for that year, so they decided the kind of movie that they want to take on or they want to show. Or or secondly, actually I'm not even sure what the secondly is. Well, either your film, <laughs> either your film is really... Firstly is enough. <laughs> yeah, firstly. Either your film is really shit or they have an agenda. Uh, or or it's really shit and they don't have an agenda <laughs> you know whatever but um yeah i think that it's funny you're talking about distribution things being seen the vampire film for example we got a deal on that and i'd only sent it here and my i have a sales agent in la and he was saying will you send your fucking film to festivals really and i said but you got a deal surely the point is get them seen in festivals and then somebody offers you a deal i wanted the vampire film out there you know, it's it's got a really uh, good distribution deal. In other words, it'll be everywhere in the, in, the, in the U.S. and Canada at Christmas. In fact, it's going out like the 15th of December, so it's a perfect week to be going out. Uh, and VOD as well, all over the place. And not only that, it's an American-Canada release, but it's region-free, which means it can be bought by anyone on Amazon. So it's, to me, that's like a worldwide distribution deal for well, it. So, so, and I'm not saying that, saying, whoopee-dee, I got a big deal. What I'm actually trying to say is that... See, the fact that the digital world is so open now for people, it's really more about marketing your film than getting it into the best festivals now. Because if you have one laurel on your thing, which loads of great review quotes, I, what's always been more important to me when I pick up a DVD, if there's great quotes, I go, yeah, I want to see that movie. And great artwork, because, you know, Mark, presentation is so much 100%. the same. So if you're marketing it right... In a way, the field has been democratized for independent filmmakers because the internet is open. You can now put your film out. You can get it up on Facebook. You can get all these friends' interests. You can, you can, you can buy like 100,000 views on Twitter for $10. Mm. You know what I mean? You can get your stuff out there. You just have okay, to be clever so You've about done your homework about, yeah, about You have to. But see, yeah. that's why people do get caught up in the idea that they have to get into festivals yeah. to build up a bit of kind of credence for the movie. In order to get the next step, and you do see it with a lot of uh, films that are even like say we mentioned Ben Wheatley earlier, yeah. I mean, High Rise required a certain festival kind of exposure, so build it up, or yeah. so it was deemed to need it. Yeah. But again, I said like distribution models are changing and they're getting torn upside down now, and Netflix have really become a big game changer. I mean, does that? make things hopeful for the future in terms of how you might get out there and let's face it make some money so you can make go and make another, movie. make another movie but it's funny you're saying that and I don't mean to jump in no you're fine there, Mark, um, that I, I was reviewed there a couple of weeks ago for another film I did called Urban Traffic and uh, Stephen uh, Porzio is it uh, did the review uh, here at Film Ireland and one of the very first questions he asked me in an interview was do you think directors need to go the festival route now because of VOD and the fact that you can get distributed in that way? So again, it's not just filmmakers who are thinking it. It's anyone in the know in the film industry are starting to go, you know, filmmakers can get their work out there and get known just from having a good marketing approach. You know, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it's weird. Like The wonders of the internet is the fact that you can get your film out there and yeah, you can do your own kind of marketing schemes. So it's quite fantastic in that way. However, there's kind of a downfall there where if you don't have either an experienced team behind you or personal experience, which I, I would have less of since it's my first feature, to be able to do all these things. Because marketing in its own right is a totally different job and skill set, you know, than to be able to direct. Like, even on this film, like, I was director, co-producer, writer, editor, colorist, you know, um, and, and a couple of other things along the way. And that's fine because we're all happy to push out there. But it is hard to say for Chrome Wood, poster, I made it myself. You know, yeah, absolutely. With Facebook, we targeted, we got 40,000 views of the trailer, which is great. You can do all these kind of things, but 
that's still like there's a reason marketing why marketing will always be marketing it is and you know it's the reason why Blumhouse the guys who do the paranormal activities and Cydia Sinister films like and Conjuring of course the reason that like their budget because I think it's nearly it's at least 100% on top if not double that is their marketing budget and they know if they show it to enough people it'll make big returns which is great and I've absolutely nothing against the model because it works the hard thing is for people like us there isn't really that opportunity to be able to push it out there so you're relying on good word of mouth and stuff like that. And it is that thing where you believe if your film is seen, that the audience will enjoy it and actually embrace it. It's just getting it seen because there's so much stuff out there and just getting your film on video on demand, it kind of doesn't mean anything. It's like if your song's on iTunes, it's one in a hundred million. So, In fact, that's a good metaphor because that's exactly what it's getting like now yeah. in terms of kind of video content online. It is. You need someone to champion you still. And unfortunately, like, festivals originally were very much so that they, they seem to be a bit more of the political scheme nowadays. Not all of them, of course, but well, some see, of them. People forget as well, festivals make money from being festivals. Yeah. People on a mm. wage every year. And you know that they, if a film festival didn't exist, they wouldn't get paid. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they're lucky to have people like yourselves making movies trying to get into those festivals to have that little moment. Especially when you see the price but, of certain festivals. Yeah. Oh, enter. but the, that's the other thing I was going to mention was, I mean, the cost of getting to festivals. Is, your sales agent was great at saying get into festivals. Yeah. Was he offering you any money to you? No, he wasn't. That's <laughs> the point. It's like, you know, this constant message, get your film into festivals. And I just thought, look, there are certain films that you know, like, like the Teen Vampire film. I see it as only having, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a great learning curve making that film for starters, um, uh, and it actually uh, started off my whole uh, way of working with actors in an improvised way, and it worked brilliantly in certain cases. Not 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 a hundred percent, but it worked really well, especially the lead girl Ellen Mullen who plays Isabel, etc. Um, and uh, but. I've totally zoned out. No, what you, you, what you were saying was the, the, the teen vampire film. I you were going to go and we were distribution and where you were going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what I had decided with, with Isabel Mann was that if it got a DVD release, brilliant. That's what I wanted. If it got VOD, brilliant. That's what I wanted. I wanted to use that and the reviews, uh, the really strong reviews and quotes I was getting to further other work. So in a way, more adult work. So moving into something like "Don't You Recognize Me," which is which is an adult film, you know, with, with adult themes and you know very adult performances, you know, and again trying to create better work all the time. So obviously, Mark, for me, the ideal would be that a major studio would go, "We love your movie. It's Absolutely. like it's it's the new whatever, and we want it, and we're going to put a hundred million dollars behind marketing campaign worldwide." That's what I want, and that's what every filmmaker wants. But I always think that. Because of digital technology, because it's so good now that we have the ability, if you have an imagination and you can go out and you have a team make a movie, because you're going to get better with every movie that you make and you have a better chance and of the big boys coming to you and going. And the bottom yeah. line is you're not just doing it for the money, guys. Yeah, you're doing it for the love. Absolutely. Love, obsession. <laughs> you know. Well, it's, it's, it's nuts, but it's a nice nuts. It's my favorite kind of nuts. Um, but yeah, so Jason, you, you in one festival so far, or have you done a few other festivals? No, we um, the first festival we got into actually was the first one we sent in for was uh, Starburst, and actually it was funny about that because we, we first of all we got the review, and of course you're terrified. Yeah. You know, I grew up reading Starburst. You know, I've well, I, I didn't even know they had a festival. But it's funny you mentioned it because yeah. I got a John Brosnan book last week. Right. <laughs> Uh, primal screen for John wow. Brosnan those you don't remember was a wonderful writer for Starburst died quite young yeah. Australian and very funny writer that we could all relate to he came up with my favourite phrase it's only a movie <laughs> yeah, it's only a movie Absolutely. but that was a nice festival but again yeah. it's a nice it seems a left of centre festival and Mark, you haven't got into any other festivals just yet. No, this like, it's the world premiere of the Sunday Forest. But like, oh, yeah, we did, you know, it's a funny one because with, with film festivals, you, you come with, it's a tactics and stuff. There's this whole plan. So like, are you oh, aiming it's, it's, at it's a load of It's very heartbreaking. Yeah. And as you say, it's, it's the last thing to do with making a movie. But yeah. it is, it's a tricky yeah. one because like, so yeah, do you aim at the very top tier festivals and hope you get into one of them and get a big break? Do you aim at the middle tier or the lower? And again, financially, these things all have an effect. But even beyond that, like, say, because there was at some point talk about even potential small and limited theatrical release for Chromewood, even potentially this year, this Halloween, just even for a day, which would have been incredible. But then you've always got your factors outside of that because the new Blair Witch came out and it just really didn't light the box up, box office on fire the way they'd hoped it would. And, and so all of a sudden everyone got cold reviews feet. as well, yeah. didn't it? But everyone just got cold feet. And so, you know, and it, there's no point like harping on those things or becoming like bitter or resentful. But there's a whole world and industry that's flowing around there that you're not really in control of. 
And so all you can do is kind of try and ride that wave as best as possible and I guess negotiate it in whichever way you can, which is limited when you've got mm. the kind of resources we have. But yeah, no, like the new like it wasn't a particularly bad film. I don't think it was as good as it could have been, but you know, it's hard, I guess, when your film has been judged based off other people's work. Well, as you say, you get tired with the brush of the fan footage thing, and that gets yeah. tiresome to hear because then it's not judging the subject matter within Absolutely. those bones. Yeah. But then you, the whole horror genre gets that in general because you do hear the whole, oh, it's not bad for a horror film, mm. which is an incredibly derogatory uh, thing to say. I've become to believe that some of the most honest ideas are in horror films these days and you won't find them anywhere else but if you look with such netflix, honesty yeah. if you look at netflix and you see the voting on netflix nearly every horror movie on it gets one or one and a half stars because yeah. people universally just just vote down horror movies they don't take them that seriously so when i'm making a film what i try and think about first is performance and character Actually, one reviewer said, the more of your films I watch, the more they feel about mental illness than horror movies. Even with Isabel Mann, they were saying, is it really a girl who's just suffering from mental illness or is she really a vampire? With Children of a Darker Dawn, it's a post-apocalyptic landscape. All these kids are, you know, their parents have lost their mind and they're struggling, you know, to kind of survive. So again, there's a lot of mental illness in that. And then with Don't You Recognize Me, clearly there's a lot of mental illness going on there. It's also about, so, uh, yeah, also, the judgmentalism of society is one of the big deals. In, mm. in your, it's definitely a theme that yeah. you, say, you seem to obviously can come back to. And again, come on, you're filmmakers, you can't help but put yourself out there, and that's the dangerous part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and yeah. that is the appeal as well. You know, it's one of those weird things, because you're right, like horror films, ten, if I see a horror film gets three stars, I think, oh, that must be pretty good. Because yeah. that's kind of yeah. considered that yeah. the five star for horror films as the general media goes. But it is, like, yeah, you, you make films and you want to put them out there. And I do think, and that's that weird thing where people kind of, Either they worry that you might be too sensitive if you get negative reviews and stuff. We want the films to be seen. I, I really, if I could get the film reviewed and watched by thousands of people and they all said they didn't really like it, I'd be delighted that they watched it. You know, it really would, because that is the appeal to say it. If people don't like it for what it is, that's absolutely fine. Well, you see, it's a wonderful contradiction about horror films is that they're uh, maligned and they're also one of the industry best thing to go to if you want to make some money and 100%. have it have close to a guarantee that you're not going to lose out. And let's face it, the Horathon has really grown. And I mean, how old is it now? Ten years? It's no, way more than more. that. I think it's twenty or the twenty-first. Holy God! Yeah. And Am I wrong? but no, it was the eighth or ninth in two thousand and six. So yeah, it must be the twentieth or yeah. thereabouts. Yeah. Wow. I think it's the twentieth. Congratulations, Edwina. Good on you, That's, Edwina. Yeah. You're a great sport. Long may she live. But yeah, I mean that's amazing. The Horathon. I remember when it was like it was like three movies over a weekend. Yeah, and now it's nearly swamping the whole of my. Here's something you may not know, but I designed the logo for her. Oh, did you? That no was your mind, not major my kudos. Eyes, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what that's but no but it is actually and this year particularly is like it's one of the years where it's actually mostly new content which is kind of interesting because yeah. at some stages in the earlier days it was a lot of retrospective screenings which were great because it was yeah. a chance for us all to see films we loved on the big <laughs> screen but now it's actually I was a bit disgusted now with I think they could have picked better Peter Cushing movies now to do a retrospective I love so, Cushing and I, dare, I don't mind those movies but they're not good Peter Cushing movies Yeah, Twins of Evil come on true True, true. Yeah, it's always a thin line where you wonder whether people are trying to aim at ones that you haven't seen as opposed to celebrating the But I'm surprised Christopher Lee, I mean, how long, did Christopher die this year or last year? Last year, last year. I could be wrong, actually, though. It's been a long year. Yeah, it's been a lot of deaths. It's been a lot of deaths. But we'll come back to the festival in a minute. But back to this idea of the strength of horror and its fandom, it's great. You always get, it's like with good comic books, with good sci-fi, you get really solid fans. I mean, where's the, the horror channel that we need that, that's online where people can go and watch horror films we have that it. works on, on a Netflix? It's called uh, Shudder UK. It just launched last week or this week. Okay. Um, well, so basically the Netflix for I, horror I, films. I don't feel too bad. Yeah. I would be more embarrassed if we'd had it for the last two years. <laughs> no, but it's because I hadn't heard of it either. I think they've been over in America before, but they've launched over here. And there, actually, I found there is another one over in England, but I can't quite remember the name of them, but... Yeah, it's a growing trend. Uh, now, again, of course, these are newer things, so they have a good back catalogue of stuff. You're talking, you've got some Baba, you've got Herschel Gordon-Lewis, but you're not going to have, like, the Halloween's 1 to 8. You're not going to have I don't know, the, Herschel is the funny one. I don't know where he fits in my is head a good for her. I do like his <laughs> I, movies. I still find it very disturbing. I mean, mm. the violence level is... I, do you know what's funny you say? Because I, I bought a copy of Gore Gore Girls about mm. four years ago. Just for the time. And I'm still only halfway through it. Oh, no, and and it's, it's, it's the worst special effects ever. But the 
notion of it is just really twisted. Disturbing. Yeah, really um, disturbing. And, and that's with bad sets, with curtains to disguise the windows, and really weird comedy. Yeah, yeah, and yet I couldn't watch it. I think some poor stripper got her face put out in the griddle, and I thought, okay, right, that's not as amusing as I thought it was. But going he was to a be. marketing guy, like <laughs> he knew, like you know, he made these films from a marketing point of view, knowing if you had these things that they could actually sell. And I think if actually, you still want the bottom to say on the seat. So we we had this True. thing chatting the way down about horror audience that they, they like horror, but they don't want to be horrified all the yeah. time. Yeah. And I think you guys understand that in the way you presented your ideas. You know, there's well, a certain, a pr- though there's discomfort in them. You, you don't want someone vomit and you don't really want them traumatized when they've left the cinema and, and not want to live their lives but afterwards. There are extreme films. I say like, you know, like films like Martyrs and uh, the earlier Saw films and stuff, which it's, I quite enjoy. You know, I think I, Martyrs is a great movie. Yeah, it is. But it's a great I, movie regardless. It like, uses I, extreme violence. And I'm yeah. okay with that. But I do agree with you. It's kind of become a big problem for the horror genre over the last couple of years where it has become increasingly reliant on outrageous, very kind of depraved violence, but with nothing else to it. And mm. so, you know, I I, I agree. I just, so we're kind of back to what we said earlier. I mean, I find horror films can be some of the most moral filmmaking you're going to see mm. in a week. On but you'd miss the story, you know. And it makes me sound like an old codger, but like even when you watch the older films, like I can't remember what I was watching the other day. Um, but they they always had a story to them. You know what I mean? There were characters, and even if it was a very basic moral, like the good girl survives or anything like that, but there was something to it. They were fairy tales for adults, which is what's really nice about it, and it pushes those kind of fear buttons, but there's more to it than just... Well, but as you said, Martyrs still has all that. Absolutely. It has that terrible, nasty sense. But I mean, I'd rather watch Martyrs than Irreversible. Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. But you think it's... And that's not a horror film. No, enough. no. The French have kind of, they started to lead that way of having extreme violence, but great characterization, so that you started to, you really felt the pain of Inside. those characters. You really did. And that's true. I think it is about, if the again, going back to performance, if, if you if you built a strong character in the film, if you really believe in them, you can do the slightest nasty thing, and it's a curveball thrown at people. But if there's no character, and you know that people are just there to be murdered, then it's like, here we go again. Yeah, you know? it's like a kind of throwback to 70s slasher movies. Yeah. Where you get to yeah, but see it is, different yeah. Types of bold people getting jobbed up. Because I'm yeah. not sure, like, even Jason, when you were rehearsing for your thing, but like the, the main rehearsings I did were my two leads with uh, Eddie Murphy, or Ed Murphy, so, like, so he doesn't get confused with <laughs> certain other people. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I know, yeah. And uh, Elva Trillant. But what we worked on the scenes, it was the earlier scene in the cafe where they're discussing because it was getting that connection between the two of them. And if you got the relationship and that balance and the power play kind of thing going on right from there the rest will actually feed true like i still think even as a horror filmmaker of course you have to worry about the set pieces and the scares and stuff but if you have the character and tone right that's going to get you a lot of the way if you're just focused on the set pieces i think you're in trouble as we said you have to care yeah if you don't care on some level if i want to kill all the characters within the first five minutes i think that's the biggest problem for some especially the remakes of horror films are coming out nowadays I despise the people. What, from the first it, scene. what example might you give of a, a recent a successful film that you felt did that? The, the negative aspect that you didn't really give a damn. Oh, I could probably say a lot of them. Like uh, you know, and even because I'm a big fan of the Blumhouse movies, but there's some of their like the original Ouija one. I know they have a new one. Mike Flanagan it's meant to be a lot better, but the first one it, it was about as lazy as you could get. As far I've heard as the same about the new one. Actually, yeah, right, I haven't seen the that term one yet. kitchen sink was used. Yeah, it's just it's it's, it's a bit it's just sad because you know <laughs> these are people who understand <laughs> how to do it right and everything like that. But uh, yeah, or even like for particularly like the Friday the Thirteenth remake and stuff like that. For me, it, it it seemed to miss what the charm was about these earlier films, and they weren't high concept stuff from the beginning. Like they were pretty basic films but that that was what was nice about oh it. yeah and, and there was up. no doubt that who was making was trying to make a book at the Absolutely. same time but you, you were know? entertained yeah. watching it and yeah. i think it, it they come across as much more cynical nowadays as if they've, they've been run by people who literally know that horror fans are almost addicts who are just hungry for the next piece and they know they can feed it to them i don't think you'd take those same chances in different genres yeah um, did you see um i cannot remember the name of it right now but the director did the evil dead remake uh, oh don't breathe don't breathe Fetty what did you what, I haven't it, seen that, but okay well we won't go too much into it. did you think that that was a good marker it's of, a weird of, one okay because i know a lot of people liked it and it's one of those things where i have no problem with other people liking it but for me the whole horror was based around just intensity and non-stop aggression which kind of works to some extent but it's not very rewarding for me yeah. you know if you want to keep me on my toes by just constantly hitting me with new things it's actually the peak and troughs. It's like a roller coaster. What you enjoy about a roller coaster is the slow build up 
the sudden drop, which is shocking, and then it kind of levels out for a second, and then it slowly builds you up and drops. And that's why roller coasters work. They're not just one big drop. And I think Don't Breed kind of aimed at just being this one savage drop of tension. And, you know, in a way, fine, because he does keep it up to the end. But I was just so jaded of it by about 45 minutes. Well, in. I wasn't. I know what you're saying. I kind of agree. Sorry, we're talking about something. You no, you're fine. But, no, but just trying to find that. Fi- I'm just trying to figure not, not what is the horror type, but mm. uh, the ones for me of recent years that I liked were, again, independent ones. Uh, we're still here. Um, I, I love that. Yeah. I, I like Mickle, Jim Mickle, and I actually have I have his remake of uh, We Are What We Are, which I haven't watched yet. Yeah, I haven't I, seen it yet. So. I, yeah. But also there was uh, my other one was it, it follows. Did I felt artistically and entertainment wise, it hit so I hit. Most I really of the boxes. enjoyed It Follows. Yeah. I, I really like it. Just yeah. it, it was it felt like it was a film. Though. Yeah, like it was giving you everything you wanted in a horror film. It was. Do you know what actually I liked about its follows? And this because the danger nowadays where people want their elevated horror to not touch on any of the tropes of horror. But what makes horror great is the tropes. It's the same way the Western. I want to see a guy coming into town. I want to see a scene yeah. in the bar. You know, I want to see a shootout at the end. And if you think that's a problem, then just you don't enjoy the genre. Horror is exactly the same. And it follows ticked all the boxes of the bits you want, but it also just had just enough difference and was well executed. And that was a very satisfying that opening experience. scene with the girl on the beach and her leg broken in half is one of the most shocking images in a movie. Yeah, but yeah. even that opening, that what the camera, yeah. that 360 yeah. camera movement, and it pays off so beautifully. So, but it was so subtle. Yeah. It wasn't a good example of it's not just a story; it's how you tell the story. It is, yeah. and that opening scene is yeah. so important as well. Though I think really in all, especially horror films, just to set a tone. Uh, back to but brings us kind of back to the one we were just talking about. Uh, Don't breathe. Mm. It's been seen as kind of being marked off that, and it follows inadvertently set us off on a big heroines in horror films kind of. Did you call it subgenre? <sighs> Which yeah. I, I'm kind of going. Okay, grand. Yeah, you're giving the I'm, no issue with that, but it just become a copycat thing. That was the what's the other movie Your where next. we. Your next. I enjoyed your next. Yeah, actually, I like that. Again, Adam that, that was having fun. Filmmaker. There was a yeah. bit of a nod and a wink going on with that. But that's one it. They were enjoying themselves yeah. with it. Yeah, I think "Don't Breathe" it's that dangerous line that horror films have walked many times, where it's that mixture between is it celebrating the last girl standing, or is it about just watching a woman be brutalized for about forty mm. minutes, and then yeah. at the end saying, "Hey, but she won," so doesn't that make it okay? <laughs> yeah, because that even has a moment in, in, in halfway through. Church which you won't discuss. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> He hasn't seen it, don't forget. I, I've heard that there's something yeah. horrible happening. Yeah, but it, it doesn't, you see, it doesn't happen. Jane that's Levi, yeah, but I, I felt that that was kind of, uh, yeah, you, you really had to, you, you had the graph out for that moment. Well, listen, you know, we Stephen, need something here. But it's like Stephen King said, if you can't like creep you out, like it eventually builds up to a point where I'll just gross you out. That's like the last yeah. ditch to ten where you kind of aren't sure face, do. King's done that. Oh, and he said he's not above doing it, but yeah. it's, it's yeah. the, when you can't make anything else work, that's so where you go to. Can I just talk then briefly about the whole retro horror thing that is also a weird new subgenre? Retro is oh, in like Rob as Zombies in effects, G- Jim Mickle, Ty West, you know, all kind of House of the Devil and stuff like that. Yeah, I, love, uh, I, I love Ty West. The Devil. And even Stranger right, Things. I mean, I've only seen two episodes myself. Oh, and it, it, it seems yeah. to be more Spielberg than King, but definitely this yeah. huge amount of King huge. in there. I mean... But you kind of get tired taking off the box. Okay, yeah, that's Firestarter. That's this. Yeah. And, and then and there's that lovely... Uh, pseudo John Carpenter's score is it getting a bit tiresome and no but I think with Stranger Things because it's set during that time then you expect all of that you know you expect the music you expect the, the credits you know the typography to be that way and I think if you didn't do that then people would go well why are they avoiding that so I think I, I, it's true that they didn't need to set it during that time. It could have been set now, and they would have had. Well, it would have had a different. whole different set yeah, of values. But absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I think it's also another way for filmmakers to escape the course of the mobile phone. True, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which it is, and you true. do you find yourself trying I'm to actually, write a reason. To I'm working on a script at the moment. It's the one thing that's upsetting my brain in terms of the tension I'm trying to build up in this woodland. Is a fucking mobile phones exist don't you have an app for that <laughs> have you got go online there's a youtube clip it's a montage of uh called mobile phone cliches and horror films and they're not really cliches but it's all these wonderful excuses but you do for, and, and then my favorite one was i don't remember the movie i think it was jeepers creepers you know wow 97 percent of the country has coverage and we're in the one three percent that doesn't <laughs> but see, so. I that's a clever because it is it's a really tricky one to do and that you're trying to write it into your script in a way that you're you know you have to address this and the audience knows you're gonna have to address it somewhere but you got to be trying in a way that like it's kind of it's not a huge deal and it just clarifies it within a line or two that you give a reasonable reason because there's nothing worse than films that tie themselves in knots to try and justify as well why they can't 
Oh, uh, dropping it, kicking it. Oh, I forgot to charge or my mobile phone. someone gets angry and throws against the wall you and see, smashes it. Yeah, but again, it's the bigger the cast, the more excuses you need for all your mobile phone True. Mm. But you do, yeah. I can't remember what, another kind of found footage you want, but like it's where it's, oh, we're going to the woods, we have to have fun. So they put all their phones in a, in a plastic bag, like, and leave it in the car or whatever. And you're like, you know, it's grand because once we're beyond that, you know, but it's a little too on the nose of like, okay, we're taking these away. Yeah. You've given me an idea for a prologue. You start a prologue with, Mobile phone, non-day. Once upon a time in a galaxy world, without phones. The, the networks have been shut down. For that one day, you don't have to use your phone. They what will people do? Do they call it the purge? The network purge. I think <laughs> oh, this <yeah>. could work. <laughs> but, okay, back to what we've been talking about is trying to get your film out there and get it sold is the hardest part. Because, as you say, like you, again, talk about Bloomhouse and people like Glass Eye Picks. The, the next level, to, I hate using the term level. It suggests that they're better. They're not better. But they have more of a hold in the marketplace, and and they're they where you the really, at the moment. well in the independent market they're strong. I mean, Glass Eye has been quiet lately, but they are busy enough, and you know they've got you've got a bit of respect for them, kind of hand and heart. They really care about making the movies. It's not about just the book. Oh yeah, they're making very strong. I mean, they gave Ty West their you know his big chance, and I mean I don't know if you've seen Innkeepers, but I love yeah yeah absolutely. And again, the in a way Ty West kind of reinvented the haunted house film as well with that. But he used all in-camera effects as opposed to CGI, so you didn't, you weren't left with that. Oh, I don't believe that. You were left with real, tangible something in the room that you could almost reach out and touch, you know. And I, but I also loved about that. And again, we were talking about again, it's character. We had two characters in that film, mm. and we really liked both of them, and especially the girl was really cute and really funny and really a lovely person. So. But House of the Devil, you won. Oh, you know, I like I, I'm a yeah. huge fan of House of the Devil. I know what you mean by the retro type thing, yeah. but I think with House of the Devil, T. West went back to that style of filmmaking, but he didn't use it as a lazy crutch. Oh no, I, I wasn't like, even uh, suggesting that. Yeah. I, but I'm saying that it's become so. But I do think some modern films are. You know, even say. The I mean, I, I, stuff, I've like, enjoyed Stranger Things so far, but mm. again, it just it's 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 it is almost. But I hated Super Eight. Right. Did you, yeah. J. J. Abrams Super 8 well, kill me see, well. like, but Stranger Things and Super 8 I think and, and they're very very similar but Stranger, I, 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 Stranger Things has got great characters for a start yeah. they and rely you, a yeah, lot on yeah. nostalgia though which is see setting a film in a period is one thing but relying on people's enjoyment of nostalgia to sell a film I find is a bit of a tricky one and Stranger Things is still a good series that works yeah. on its own and please but the one don't attack me on not, Twitter for not liking Stranger funny Things but funny is the one Steven Spielberg no one seems to have mentioned with regard to Stranger Things is the Goonies yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah. and it's in there I don't know it's, it, I think yeah. more so than actually even ET and, and yeah. stuff like uh, yeah. but yeah it just that, it's it's just it's a lazy approach in the same way relying on gore in your horror film is a lazy approach there's no problem to use these things to your advantage you should use every tool you have but it shouldn't be the sole thing no, and I, I think, think we hit the nail on the head the, the, the horror comes from caring about the characters and then having something happen to them that's, but that's where it, it really happens. it's real yeah. people in an unreal world that's like you can do anything to, to them that makes no sense say like even Hellraiser and stuff. it's just it doesn't matter how crazy the event is as long as the people at the core are us they represent us and their reactions have to represent at least somewhat how we would behave as soon as they start acting silly people tend to switch off but you also think of film directors you know during we'd been talking earlier about 60s and 70s film you have these great directors who were directing drama and they decide to do horror so you have Stanley Kubrick does The Shining incredible performance a lot of people at the time thought Jack Nicholson totally handed up mm. but it's one of the best hand jobs ever in film I mean just that look staring at the window endlessly Shelley Duvall with a face like a cartoon I mean unbelievable looking people great actors brilliant at their craft and then Nicholas Rogue another one of the greats in the 60s and 70s started out as a cinematographer he gets Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland to make a genre film, Don't Look Now, which is an absolutely genius film. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and you've got Rosemary's Baby and Rosemary's stuff as well. But Baby I think what Blancy. people forget, especially yeah. in this modern climate where people talk about elevated horror being the desired thing, which is for people who aren't aware, basically a horror film that is okay because it, it's smart enough to justify being watched, which again is an insulting kind of a notion. But say Rosemary's Baby and The Shining and, and especially Don't Look Now would be yeah. considered perfect examples of what elevated horror would be, except you forget... These were just great filmmakers who wanted to tell a certain story. They weren't yeah. setting out to either yeah. make a horror film or a drama. This was just that type of story, and they made it, and it was great. And people went to see them then. I don't know if there's the same. I, figured, I think I now. think Kubrick only made did, that's the only horror film he made, except yep. for unless you want to call Full Metal Jacket and Clockwork Orange mm -hmm. horror films. Uh, Polanski only made one more horror film. That was The Tenant. Yeah. Repulsion, to well, some extent, has elements that's of... before that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> he also did the Fearless Vampire Killers. That's right. Oh, and, uh, beautiful Sharon Tate. Uh, 
But uh, and Roig Wade one more, which I haven't seen. I don't want to see because I've heard sad things about football. Haven't heard it. Uh, it was made in Ireland. Okay, really? Yeah. yeah, it's one of those kind of ones you kind of don't want to go with now because you're going to be upset. Mm. So uh, on that note, I mean, I think we should wrap things up. True. Um, uh, let's say good luck with your films. I, I hope you get a great Thank reception you. for them. Thank you. Uh, uh, it's going to be a great festival again. Mm-hmm. Always is. And I said like some brilliant films on there. Uh, I still think. It, Peter Cushing, in retrospect, we need to talk about it, Edwina. <laughs> um, Move on. But what have you got? Any plans for the future in terms of key? I know you, you I can tell Jason you just want to keep at it, and that's what you'll always do. And the same for you, Mark. Yeah, I, I have a couple of scripts with a few producers who are interested, but the big challenge is it's who can get a film moving quick enough. Because at the end of the day, as much as we love these films, and that is all I ever want to do, at my age now, like I needed to be bringing in some money to be able to have some form of life. And that sounds like a kind of a shitty attitude to have, but it's not because it becomes a very real reality to be able to go and do it. So yeah, it's trying to find that person who can actually help you get that next film. Because the reality is, I'll make another film no matter what. It's inevitable. I'm, that's stupid. But like, if you can find someone who can actually see it, whether they've seen a previous film or read that script, that can bring you on to the next level. That's got to be the goal. It's got to be the aim. I've been the same, like, I've, you know, I've done stuff for, you know, major networks and that, which were documentaries, but when it, when it comes to doing something that you really love and you want to do, sometimes, even though you're trying to get funding for it, you either go, well, I get funding and that's brilliant and it'll pay the bills, or do I just never make another movie? So to me, that's not an option. Um, already, um, I've, uh, another movie almost completed shooting um, called The Sweetest Morsel, which is a, a very violent gangster film. You make Ben Wheatley look like he's slow making films. <laughs> <laughs> I had a job with him about that. It was very funny, actually. Um, but, uh, and then another one uh, called The Paper Child, which is a psychological horror film starring Brian Murray, uh, which is almost completed post-production. So that, and then I have, in pre-production, a haunted house film called Winifred Meeks, which is going to be a lot of fun to do. Uh, quite a chiller. And again, I'm using like every film that I've always been a fan of, like The Haunting, uh, the uh, the BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas, which were incredible. Whistle and I will come. I just Whistle watched that yesterday for the first Jonathan time. Miller. Oh, Absolutely. did you? Yeah. And did you get a shiver down your neck? Absolutely. It's I, your man, yeah. the, the you know very noble guy, kind of bugged me a little bit in the first half. But when it came to the the creepy tension, I was quite surprised by how much it, it caught me off guard. Those stories end. are worth going back to read again yeah, as absolutely. well. Emor James was the, the 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 godfather of the well, not even the modern ghost story because. It would have been Victorian Edwardian at the time he was writing it. Yeah, well, he, well, he brought it into the genre, are we all mad or the ghosts? Uh, yeah. Or mm. are we all nuts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, so, yeah, well, congratulations on the two movies again. Thank and, you. Uh, good luck with the future. I think the hopefully digital is going to open up a whole new world that will help create the cash to get these things done. I look forward to your next movie after oh, thank you very after much. that beautiful <laughs> debut feature, which I love. Uh, yeah, I did, the next one I'm going to kill people, I decided. <laughs> More money. But, uh, <laughs> I said, what, what, it's funny, I was just saying to my girlfriend, I said, do you know something, it's funny, Every time I said, anyone I know who either makes horror films or loves horror films, it's always the loveliest people. <laughs> I'm not afraid to express. <laughs> you get it out of your system. That's because the podcast is our therapy. That's why. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen, that was superb. Thank thanks, Paul. Thanks very much.